Thank you for tuning in with us at Bayou City Fellowship, Cyprus, a community that's radically focused on Jesus. We hope that the message today will equip and inspire you to live in love as Jesus does. You guys can have a seat. We're going to worship some more. Something we like to do at our family service is, uh, it's called Stump the Pastor. And here's how this works. I'm going to invite Xander up. Where's Xander? Come on, buddy. Don't open it yet. This is Xander. How are you? Xander, how old are you? I'm 10 years old. Fantastic. You can put that right there. All right, here's how this works. What we like to do is help. As you grow up, it's important that we realize everything in the world points to Jesus. Everything. There's always a connection. So Xander has had a little while to put something in this box, which I have never seen. The goal is for me to open the box, sight unseen, and take a moment to see if I can come up with some spiritual truth or application and give that application in a coherent way. If I can, then I don't get stumped. If I can't do it, then I get stumped and you win. Okay? All right. This is, I'm a little nervous right now. I'm not going to lie. It's either the coffee or the fact that I'm just nervous. Okay, so we can always cheer Xander on. Are you ready, Xander? Okay, is it gonna jump at me? Okay. All right, here, why don't you open that thing up? This is a Rubik's Cube. So the Rubik's Cube represents our life, right? It's complex, it's layered, Right, every decision we make is another turn of the Rubik's Cube and it either makes it look more put together like it's supposed to or it just mixes it up even more. The way to solve a Rubik's Cube is to understand how all the pieces go together. The only way that we can have our lives look the way that God wants is to understand his truth and to obey that truth and every time we obey, we make a twist and make it closer to look exactly the way it was meant to, whole and complete. You can take that back to your seat. Very well done. In fact, that's our sermon for the day. Really, it goes exactly along. You did a perfect job, Xander. I'm proud of you. Thank you very much. Whew, another one in the books. That was a little scary. A little scary. We're going to continue our series, but before we do, I'm going to ask that you stand to your feet and we're going to pray like we have the last several weeks as we prepare to continue the fight. If you'll just stretch your hands out, maybe put your eyes to heaven. Father, we stand together as family, as your sons and daughters in Jesus. And we pray on our feet, God, the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, that we stand ready to do that which you want us to do. Father, at the core of us, we place on the belt of truth, your truth, not our truth, not the world's truth. Over our hearts, Lord, we place the breastplate of righteousness, the righteousness that comes through Jesus. Over our minds, Father, guard us with the helmet of salvation, the reality that Jesus has given us freedom from sin. And in one hand, Lord, we take the shield of faith, which extinguishes all the flaming arrows of the evil, when the lies, the blame, the condemnation, that shield of faith that you love us anyway, we hold up 
tight. And on the other hand, Lord, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, to combat the lies with truth. We stand together as a family asking that you help us to stand firm, submitted to you, that you cause the enemy to flee from us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, we've been going through this as your first week uh, for this series. We've been talking about the fight, the fight that is present for every human mind, soul in the whole world, right? There's a battle going on in the spiritual realms to try to draw people away from God, and God is up there drawing people to himself. And we know that God wins. It's not a secret, right? It's not like we're wondering what the end result is of this battle, but we happen to be caught in the middle And we talked about how a right understanding of our sin is important in that fight so the enemy can't draw us away, how the holiness of God plays a part in how our view of his holiness transforms us and keeps us in the fight. And then last week we talked about when we're against the ropes in this battle. And today we're gonna talk about this really high churchy word, sanctification. Kids, all together now, sanctification. That's right. What in the world does that mean? Right? Sanctification is this really great word you hear about in a seminary or with the academics. And the simple way to understand sanctification is that it is a process by which we are being made holy like God. It requires action, and it has to do with God helping us to be holy as he is holy. It's all connected. We talked about the holiness of God. And I don't know about you, so I struggle with this, this process, the process of being made like Jesus, because I have this really unrealistic expectation of myself that I should learn lessons once and never fail again. I should learn how to be holy like right now. And so what ends up happening is when I inevitably am not holy, when I have to learn lessons over and over and over, and I might be alone, but I'm just telling you what I struggle with, There's this idea that somehow I outrun God's grace, right? That somehow maybe I have a quota. I got saved from from all of my sins. The scripture says that Jesus saved us from all of our sins. And yet I believe somehow that on this side of knowing Jesus, I've been given a quota. You have 5,000 sins, right? And once that's over, you're over. This is the, the battle. This is how the devil works in my life. So every failure, I'm wondering if it's finally, is God done with me? Because I forget the process isn't a year long, it's not a week long, it's not 10 years long, it's until I die. I don't know, do you ever feel that way? You ever struggle with that that process of being made like Jesus? Of, Of being holy as he is holy? Right, kids, do you guys struggle with being perfect. How, okay, kids, raise your hands high. How many of you are not perfect? Raise them high. It's okay. Thank you. The adults are like, you're not kids. Adults, how many of you guys struggle with the idea of, like this idea of being perfect, right? Like you woke up today and you're like, no, I've got this thing covered. So I got it on lock, man. Me and Jesus, we're about the same. See, it's funny until you realize that we actually live that way, though. Because, and you know because the expectations that you have on yourself and the unrealistic expectations that you have for other people. 
See, we expect somehow that God tells us something and we do it. When we don't, it produces some result. And usually the result, if you're a kid, students, how many of you guys are junior high or high school in the room? Do we have any junior highers high school? You don't have to raise them high. It's embarrassing. I'm sorry. Here's the thing. What ends up happening is, right, when you don't do what you know you're supposed to, you get discouraged and you kind of quit. You kind of withdraw. You're like, well, God must not love me because I can't seem to do what he wants. So I'll just do what everybody else is doing. Happens all the time. They feel shame and guilt. And I wonder if somehow as parents, we teach them that on accident. How many times have I told you? (laughs) I don't know, how many times has God told you? (laughs) Think about it. How many times have I, and we get so frustrated because I've told them, why don't they do it? Well, how many times has he told you? Why don't you just do it? Why don't you just stop sinning? And we struggle. I don't mean this to condemn anybody. I just want to acknowledge that we are actually all in this together. It's family service. Make sure the kids are waking up. You know what I mean? We all have the same issue. And we're going to use this framework of growing up. Think about it. When you are born into the world, you don't give birth to a mature, complete, learned human being who is an adult who knows all things. Do you? No. You are born into the world and immediately you begin learning. You immediately begin to grow and mature. And it starts with spoon feeding. It starts with not being able to do it on your own. So people come alongside and you learn and grow. And then you try to touch the burner. And you learn and you grow not to touch the burner until a week later when you're like, I wonder if it's changed. Maybe I should try it again. Think about the lessons that you have learned your whole life over and over and over again. Think about that. Think about the ones you are still learning. Right? How many kids get frustrated? You get frustrated at them and you, you, your parents were frustrated with you. You remember, you remember, some of you are still carrying the wounds from this. Parents who could not expect Different because they couldn't expect it from them. See, this is how it works. If I have an unrealistic expectation about myself, I will absolutely put that on you. And we do this to our kids all the time. Well, mom, I'm sorry, I forgot. Well, I've told you 800 times. And internally, we struggle going, huh, I wonder how many times God has told me about my pride. How many times has God told me about my arrogance my selfishness, my gossip. How many times have I had to learn lessons about sacrifice and service? And the reason it's important is the enemy is really good at getting you to believe that you should expect to be perfect immediately and never have to learn another lesson. And if he can get you to believe that, then he can get you to believe that you've messed up and you might as well just walk on your own. See, I think that we would do well as we raise our children to remember the process. It's the process that allows us grace and mercy for ourselves. It is the process that allows us grace and mercy for others. I want you to turn to Romans chapter six. 
We'll come back to this framework of growing up as a child, the process by which we are born into the world and growing, maturing. You know, when you're born, you know nothing. When you turn into a five-year-old, you know some things. And then when you turn 12, you know everything. Right? And then when you turn 18, it's like, not only do I know everything, but everybody else knows nothing. How could anybody be as smart as me? And then you turn 21, and you still think you're smarter than most people, but you start to realize that maybe you have a few things to learn. And then you turn like 28, and you're like, huh, I know a little less than I thought. And then you have children, you're like, I know nothing. (laughs) And they start to know everything. And this whole cycle begins again. And as a grown-up, grown-up, those who are mature, who like to tell and make sure our kids know we're mature, well, why can't? Because I'm your parent, and I've lived longer, and I know all things. That's why you have to do this, you know? And so we start to assert that we know everything again, and then it's this whole wicked thing that goes on. The scripture talks about this process spiritually. When a person is born again, see where I'm going with this? When you are born again, we are born out of darkness into light, into life and freedom. And we're infants. Do you remember when you got saved? Do you remember when you realized the depths of your sin and the need for a savior? Do you remember when you came into your faith and you're like, man, I don't know anything. When I came to Jesus, I knew nothing. I knew nothing. You're not born a mature, complete person in Christ. But the older we get, what happens? I know some stuff. And then you get 10 years into your faith and then you start thinking 12 years into your faith, man, I know everything and people are dumb. And then we start criticizing and we forget that the process isn't over. You can read the scriptures a thousand times and you will still learn. This is sanctification. This is the process by which we're being made holy. Romans chapter six, we'll start at verse five. Starting chapter five, he's talking about how peace is made with God through faith. I love chapter five. Romans chapter five is one of my favorite, favorite chapters in the whole Bible. Talking about death in Adam, life in Christ. Verse five says, for if we've been united with him in death like his, Jesus, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection. Look, if we are with Jesus in the type of death he did, dead to sins, we'll also be with him, united with him in resurrection. New life, freedom, forgiveness, grace. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. The idea of our new birth is that our old life is dead and buried and is a fresh start. It's a new start. It's a new birth into faith so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Set free from sin. And yet we struggle, right? And yet we struggle to grow and move past it. But we expect somehow that all the things we struggle with for so long would magically be gone or we're walking on this broken, sinful earth. He goes on. Now if we've died with Christ, we believe that we'll also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Forgive me for rushing through that. Did you hear what it says? Death will no longer have dominion over him. 
The reason that we have new birth, the reason that we mature and grow in Christ isn't so that people look at us and go, oh my gosh, look at them, they are so mature. They are so grown up in their faith. It is to know God better. It is to know God more intimately. It is to love him and love other people. Who cares how smart you are? How well do you know God? Like know him. How well in this relationship with him who brought you into life? For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. The purpose, this process is about living for him, with him, to him, and about him. This process of being made like Jesus is about a life of obedience to him, a life of knowing, a life of freedom, right? He's, we don't live to sin anymore. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions, right? That's how the old life was. Don't present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Basically, don't use your words, your hands, your feet, your body for things that are opposed to God, that are destructive to you and to others. It says, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. And then uh, go down to verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one who you obey, either to sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? I think a lot of times we think when we become Christians, I know Jesus, and now I'll do it all right. I'll do it all right. And we teach our kids this because we teach moral Christianity instead of total surrender. The word slaves in here is important to understand. It's translated slave here on purpose, not bond servant. Right? It's, it's actually to be submitted to somebody who has total ownership and mastery over your life. That's what the translation slave is here. You, will have, you are either totally mastered and taken over by sin, or you will be totally mastered and overtaken by righteousness. And this is the thing. You move from death to life in Jesus, and then there's this process, very slow and arduous. I'm 44 years old. I'll be 45 in September. Don't worry about the presents. And in 44 years, that process has been brutal. I hope I look more like Jesus today than I did 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And every failure, every mishap, every sorrow, every joy and, and success has all been part of me being like God, being like Jesus, and less a slave to sin. Think about that. My expectation for myself, though, is, hello, Jesus, and I'm perfect. It's, it's ridiculous. Let's go back to our, uh, our other one. Your five-year-old. How many of you are five years old? Anybody five years old? Close to five, five, six? Yes, awesome. My five-year-old's in the back. I love it. Thank you. Man, life is tough, isn't it? Right? It's rough. Think about your five-year-old. 
who frustrates you. Think about your five-year-old who you've told seven times to go make their bed. Seven times to stop doing this or stop doing that. And I wonder if, as you're teaching them to make their bed and do all the things you're supposed to as a parent, we forget that you're going to have to tell them five million more times and it's okay. And that the purpose of a parent of a five-year-old isn't to get your kids to do what you want. It's to teach them the grace of God by patiently committing to grow and mature them the way that God has committed to grow and mature you in your failure, your sin, your mishaps, right? And who will celebrate with joy and all the other things. Teenagers, could you imagine? Could you imagine... I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I know there are teenagers in the room who feel like absolute failures because they haven't seemed to figure out how to be perfect yet. They haven't figured out that that's not the goal, that they will be perfected until they die, and so it's important to stay focused on the process and not on being perfect. That every day you wake up and say, God, how can I walk with you closer today? How can I be completely mastered by Jesus today? And not by all the things everybody else tells me. And I wonder if parents, if we could remember this for ourselves, maybe we could help our kids out a little more. Here's what it says, Romans 6. I'm going to skip down to the end. I want to get to some really practical things, I hope. Verse 19, I'm speaking in human terms because your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification, leading to holiness. For when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? In the end, those things lead us. He's like, look, remember that time when you did whatever you wanted? And all you got from it was pain and suffering and brokenness. He said, what did you gain from all of that? But now that you have been set free from sin, now that you know Jesus, now you have freedom, now you have forgiveness and grace and eternity with God and have become slaves to God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, which is eternal life, which is actually the key. This is the thing, sanctification, this whole process isn't about you being better than everybody else. It's about you knowing God forever and being in his presence. The end result of this process of sanctification isn't to be the best human on the earth. It is to know God the best. It is to be in deep, intimate relationship with the one who made you. When you start living for intimacy with God and not for moral perfectness, that's when, it, that's when it clicks because it is out of gratitude for what he's done for you. It's out of gratitude. What decisions have you made trying to be perfect that ended up benefiting you and others around you rather than when you made decisions from a place of gratitude and humility? Different decisions, right? Right? Kids, when you know your parents love you anyway, right? You learn lessons differently, you grow differently, you mature differently. But if we believe that God is up there waiting for you to sin one more time, it'll never happen. Adults, 
We are children. We are children. We act like children. Messing up again. Having them tell us again. <sighs> right? We throw tantrums. And when an, a burden is too heavy for us to bear and other people expect us to bear it, we act out. We act out. When an unrealistic expectation of perfection is put on you, you act out and so do I. All the kids, give me an amen. That's right. All the parents, listen to that amen now. And then at the very end, we know this scripture, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. <laughs> we quote that, but forget all the stuff before it. I want you to remember this. The process of being made holy like God requires patience and compassion for yourself and others. The process of being made holy like God requires patience and compassion for yourselves and for others. Kids, when your parents mess up again, when they fight again or they say something harsh again, please have patience and compassion for them. They're not perfect yet. Even if they don't remember that for themselves. Parents, can I encourage you in something? You know that thing that you keep harping your kids about? That thing that they haven't figured out yet? Can you please take a breath Show some patience, have some compassion because there's some things you haven't figured out yet either. And I'm preaching to myself. I'm not preaching at you. I'm talking with you. So how does this understanding of the process of sanctification, one, help us in the battle, but how does it help us treat ourselves, our spouse, our kids? How about in a marriage? What's the expectation you have on your, your, your spouse? Men, we are not perfect can I get some sort of amen on that? No ladies amening, we know. We know. And ladies, it's okay not to be perfect because you're not. You're not. And it doesn't matter what the other girls say. It doesn't matter what the other girls expect of you when you walk in and you don't have your stuff together. Did you know that? Because your place in the process isn't the same as their place in the process. This sanctification that they're enjoying or not is different. What about your, what about your boss? Ugh. What about your boss? What about your kids, right? What about your parents? What about your friends? Mean girls. <sighs> Bullies. Oh, think about this. Where are they at in the process? The question then becomes this. If becoming like God in holiness is a process that lasts your whole life, how do you stay faithful to it? Because here are the lies. You're never gonna make it. You're never gonna be perfect, so why try? Right? I can't live up to the expectations of others. I can't live up to the expectations of myself, so why try? If I can't be perfect, what's the point? Or you're not perfect, God doesn't love you. These are all lies. These are all things that aren't true. If you want to know how to stay faithful to the process of sanctification and stand firm in the fight, right, against the lies of the enemy, there are two things that will be absolutely necessary. 
One is knowing truth. One is knowing what it means to obey. Being slaves to righteousness is really about knowing what God wants and doing that. And sometimes you get it right and sometimes you don't, but that's part of the process. But you have to know what he wants you to do. With your kids, when they obey you, what's your relationship like? Kids, when things are good and you're like, all right, me and mom, dad, we're doing great. Parents are like, I love my kids, they're awesome. They did what I told them. The relationship falters though, right? When your kids are like skewed, taken off, doing their own thing. And you're like, that's not good for you. Why are you doing that? Same thing with the Lord. So we have to know what he wants and then go do it. James 1.22, don't just be hearers of the word and deceive yourselves. What does it say? Do what it says. What do you tell your kids all the time? Just do what I say. How many times you're like ripping your hair out? Why don't you just do what I asked you to do? I want you to remember, God's up there asking you too. Hey, you too. Hey, what if you just did what I asked? Hey, what if you actually forgave them? Hey, what if you actually showed them mercy? Hey, what if that thing you've been holding over their head for the last 15 years, you were actually just let that go now? Hey, what would it look like to show compassion and empathy? Hey, what would it look like to be generous? Hey, you too. You have to know what he wants and do it because obedience, knowing the scripture and then obeying the scripture are the things that help us to stay faithful in the process of sanctification and keep those lies of the enemy out. We're going to finish with this here. There's a slide's going to come up with scriptures. You can write them. I'd love you to write these down and go look at these later. I'm going to read a couple of them. 2 Corinthians 3, 16 to 18 says this, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed and now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same thing in image from one degree of glory to another. One degree to another. You see that? It's a process. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Philippians 1.6, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of the Lord Jesus. That means the process doesn't stop until he comes back. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says, therefore my beloved as you have always obeyed, so now not only is my, in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out. It, it talks about the process. Write these down, 2 Peter chapter one, one of my favorites. It's too long to read right now, but I want you to go read it. It's, it's phenomenal. It talks about adding to your faith. Incremental adding. So here's the deal. The devil will lie to you and tell you that you're supposed to be perfect right now, and if you're not, you're out. The scriptures would tell you that starting with Jesus, to be born again is the beginning of the process of sanctification. And every day, it's adding to. Sometimes the process is slow, right? Sometimes we learn quickly. Like, man, I feel like that 18-year-old. I know everything. And then failure happens and you have to remind yourself, oh, this is part of the process. This is not the end. And it helps you to know yourself well and love yourself the way God does. And it helps you do something that is more different. What if, as a church, we remembered this in our marriages, in our parenting, 
and in our life with other people? What if our expectations changed from you have to be perfect or else to because I'm not perfect yet and I'm learning, I'm gonna offer you room to grow also. Could you imagine what your relationship would be like? Like think about what, what, would, your, what would happen when you guys in your marriages maybe fought about that thing again and your initial response was not to shut down, cut off, and to kick out, but rather to acknowledge and go, man, what am I learning right now? Okay, I'm, if I'm not perfect, I can't expect them to be perfect. Okay, what's my response? Okay, mercy, grace, let's work it out, restore, reconcile, and move on. With your kids, what would it look like to have this different expectation? The same expectation God has for you to keep growing incrementally. I wonder if you would respond differently. Maybe more grace. I hate this message. Um, maybe, I'm just super convicted in the space with you in case you're wondering. Preaching to a bunch of people that you struggle with the same things is very difficult. To allow my children to not be perfect. To allow you all to not be perfect and for you to allow me not to be perfect yet. I wonder what it would look like. I wonder if the world would change a little if we loved and did the things that God asked of us. It takes patience and compassion to stay in the process of sanctification. Let's pray together. Father, I do ask that you would care for us as we learn to grow up in Jesus and as we do to offer that same mercy you offer us and the patience and compassion you offer us, Lord. God, I just ask that you would let the word sink deep as we study this word and obey it. You would see us growing up and mature. And Lord, that you would, you'd help us change the world by being more like you and less like the lies that we listen to. Thank you for the kids in the room. God, thank you for their wonderful uh, just demeanor today. Thank you for their willingness to sit and listen and to grow with us. We're gonna have a time of prayer and also giving. Uh, they're both ways that we get to worship together. So the prayer team's gonna come up. If you need prayer, you'd like to pray for someone, they'll be available to do that. If you'd like to know Jesus, maybe you're like, I don't know about this born again stuff, but I sure would like to know. This is a great opportunity for that. And we're also gonna have our time of giving, which is an amazing act of obedience and trust and dependence in God. And it's something that we are asked to do as a church as his people, so we'll do that. The bulls are on either end of the thing. Pass them down the rows until they get to the back. There'll be somebody in the back to gather those for you. As we sing this song, just spend some time praying and have a time of giving as well. Let's do that now. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that you feel encouraged. To stay up to date with our current sermon series, you can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you would like to find more ways to get involved with the Bayou City family, visit us online at bayoucityfellowship.com or download the Bayou City Fellowship Cypress app to find community in the body of Christ.